welcome to each of you. I'm Brian Frazier, and this is Journey to the Stage. I have a guest today that I can't wait to chat with. Before we jump into our chat, I have some pretty exciting news to share. According to an organization called Listen Notes, which is a group that tracks listener numbers for podcasts on a global level, they've reported that um, our podcast is ranked in the top 10% in popularity, which is really cool. It's not a feather in my cap, but really thank you for all of you who are listening and sharing with your friends. So thank you for that. Our guest today is M. Ross Perkins. M. Ross is an artist, a, a true artist, who's making music that I've simply become obsessed with. And you'll see why here in a little bit. M. Ross Perkins is a songwriter, a singer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, recording artist, and he has a brand new album out called E Pluralist. M. Ross, welcome to Journey to the Stage. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. How are you doing these days coming, you know, going through the pandemic and all that stuff? How are things going for you? Oh, I think, uh, you know, it's like an, always an ever evolving anxiety, you know, it's like <laughs> the, the <laughs> pandemic was sort of like a, a peak of it, but yeah, this, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, but uh, right now we seem to be in something of a lull and, uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you know, I say that and then tomorrow I'll wake up and there'll be something new happening, but right. Yeah. I'm hanging in there. Good. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm dedicating this episode to a friend of mine, Mark Feldbush, who's actually in Ohio as well. And here's why. And this actually plays into how I discovered your music. I was, this is maybe two months ago. I was up editing. It was about one in the morning here in California and I get this email that said, Mark Feldbush just bought M. Ross Perkins. I'm like, <laughs> what? So because I follow Mark, we're friends on Bandcamp. I get notices when he buys music and, and likewise. So I'm like, I jumped on, click at Mark. I know Mark's got great musical taste. So I clicked on it and started listening to your first full length album. I'm like, what in the world? So I jumped online and saw that Mark was up. So it was probably three in the morning, your time. I said, Mark, who is this guy? This is amazing. This is so great. And he's like, I know. And we just were going back and forth about, he's telling me, oh, listen to this song and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And after a while, Mark's like, hey, man, I just got up to go to the bathroom. I got to go back to bed. I work in a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly, that's how I discovered you. And man, I've been, I've been hooked on what you've made ever since kind of a strange way to find an artist, but you know, oh, that's really cool. I, yeah. I mean, there've been so many people that I've come across, you know, musically that I just, you know, stuff that I really like and had those kinds of, uh, you know, like my friend gets into something and it's like, well, what is that? You know? And so to, you know, to know that that's happening with my stuff is, is cool. It feels sort of like a, just an interesting connection. Yeah. And especially, you know, in the middle of the night, <laughs> I just love that Mark's like, man, I just got up to go to the bathroom. I got to go back to bed. <laughs> I was cracking up. So let's, let's go back a little bit, hands down, as I've talked to artists and musicians, since I've been doing this podcast, I have really to a person found that music was a big part of their, of their home, their childhood home where would you say music fit into those early years for you? My family always emphasized it and it mm -hmm. was something that we enjoyed together. And I think that that really, you know, factored in heavily to me feeling like music was something that I could do mm -hmm. as, as a person, you know, and, um, 
yeah, there was just always someone really enthusiastic about some kind of music around me in my earliest, you know, childhood years. Hearing people be that enthusiastic about music, like I remember my dad talking about uh, Graham Nash's album called Songs for Beginners. Oh, great album. Yeah, man. And that he loved that record. And I remember him talking about it and being just like, you got to hear this. And that energy, you know, that you were kind of describing a second ago, you know, which is why I said, you know, it's really cool to hear someone describe, you know, coming into my music that way, because that's, it's so familiar to me. And it's so sentimentally meaningful to me. Yeah, I remember, you know, my mom feeling that way about, uh, you know, Patsy Cline, or like my parents loved like Marshall Tucker band and kind of like, you know, 70s country rock. I think a lot of Midwestern, you know, baby boomer uh, white people in in like Ohio got really into the country rock kind of thing, you know, in in the 70s. <laughs> and my, you know, and like going to see Willie shows or like Leon Russell or something, that kind of stuff was really what they were into. Right. And we went to concerts and everything and all of that, you know, made me feel like music was something you could really do. Well, it's neat that it was really so much a family experience. It's funny you say that because I just bought tickets to go see the scorpions with my mom and my brother. <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> my mom, uh, I'm a little older than you, but my, you know, when I started going to concerts, my first concert was Ronnie James Dio that my mom took me to. And <laughs> wow, she, oh, she's up there with everybody, you know, and she did the same for my brother. His <laughs> first concert was black Sabbath. And, uh, it's, it's just funny. And now was she, she into metal. I mean, was she, or was she just like totally, no, she wasn't. She was really country and Glenn Miller and Sinatra and Glenn Campbell and these types of artists. Great, great music. And it's yeah, right. Yeah. But we were young and she didn't want us to go alone. So I think I was 13, 12, 13 years old. And here was my mom taking me. And it was so interesting. For some reason, she is she just loves the scorpions. She loves the sound of Klaus Main's voice or something. I don't know. So I just saw I'm like, Mom, the scorpions are coming to town. She's like, I know, call your brother. And I'm like, So we're going. October, it's gonna be a block. So I, I could understand how music can really be something a family can enjoy together. Yeah. I think back to my childhood and we had one of those huge, I don't know if you've seen them, um, huge console systems where it's like six, seven feet wide. It's got the turntable and the huge speakers and all oh, yeah. that. That's I grew up listening to that as a family type thing. Um, and that's really cool that you, that you had that experience when you hear some of those old songs, like does that take you back to that time a little bit? Oh yeah. That, I mean, songs for beginners in particular is one out there. There, there are a handful of records that pretty deeply sentimental, I guess. And you know, those are ones that I occasionally turn to, but it's a pretty intense, it can be a really intense experience to, to listen to some of those albums, you know? Sure. Now it's a big step to go from listening to being a consumer of music to being someone who makes music. What was that journey like for you to go from being someone who listened to somebody who wanted to pick up an instrument and make your own? What was that like for you? It just always seemed like a viable, um, a viable thing that that an individual could do and that alone made me from a really really early age just think well okay like you know 
I could be a dentist or I could be a police officer or like, or I could be, you know, a singer. I could be, you know, at the time it was like, Oh, I could be a country singer is when I was a really little kid. That's what I liked. And then later it was like, Oh, I could be a rock singer or something. So yeah, it always just seemed so tangible. Mm -hmm. And when I was really little, I, I just remember writing. I remember having like a, a piece of construction paper and some crayons and like, writing out a song and like the first one I remember <laughs> uh was at my grandmother's house the first one I remember writing was this it was like a love song yeah and the chorus was you're looking for love in all the wrong places yeah right yeah maybe I might have just maybe heard that on the radio or something or maybe he got it from you well we had a coffee mug that said looking for love in all the wrong places and I don't think I realized that it was a song but I, that was like so then later on, I think a couple of years later, I found out like, oh, that's a, that's a real song. You know, it was funny. Yeah, right. it, was, it was like, oh, you moron. He wrote, tried to write <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. But yeah, I mean, so just really early on, it was like, oh, this is just something you can do in the way that you can do anything else. And I can't really think of a time in my life when wanting to be a musician wasn't a core part of my identity. About what age were you when you picked up a guitar for the first time? I started out on the piano. I we had like an upright piano in our house and my mom could play she could like read music which you know was super impressive to us at the time we're like wow you can re you know, read this stuff and she yeah. would play white christmas every year at christmas time and stuff like that you know it's it pretty nice. cool but I, I started out on that and that's where i really got a feel for the scale and for you know just understanding how these you know notes kind of work with each other and yeah, I picked up a guitar probably in the fifth grade, I think, was the first time a family friend gave me a guitar that she had in, in her closet. I think it belonged to her brother. That was it. It was it blew my mind to have this instrument. It was like it felt like a moment of instant transition. You know, now mm -hmm. I have this thing that's my instrument. And I just carried that thing around with me everywhere. Just carried wow. this guitar and this case and put, you know, like silly stickers all over the case and stuff. Really wanted to look <laughs> like a vagabond or something. I was like a little yeah, 10 yeah. years old. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it just became like this extension. So I started taking it to school. They'd make me like leave it in the corner of the classroom or something during instruction. And then, you know, carrying it around with me all the time, just like I had this string. I remember at one point I just had like a big rope. It was, it was like this awesome. you know, like suburban hobo or something, you know, like little <laughs> white guy, white kid hobo with a guitar. <laughs> it was silly. Wearing Abercrombie and Fitch and stuff, you know. Were you so drawn to it because you felt like you were able to express yourself through it? Did you love the sound? What was it that really drew you to that instrument? I think ego, it, it, ego is like the thing that more and more I just realize is the only reason any of us are doing this, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, even if it's not a, like a toxic type of ego, it still is this like a, this really deep desire to, um, we say express ourselves, but it's not really, I don't think expressions, what comes first, the desire to express myself is not what drives me to do it. It's like the desire to establish some version of myself that I want is the thing that ultimately causes me to want to express it, you know? So before any desire for expression comes about, I have this desire to actualize this like version of, of me that I've kind of built. In that period of time, were there any writers that you found yourself particularly drawn to anyone that 
stood out to you as like, wow, this person knows how to craft a song. All right. Yeah. Oh man. Um, Van Morrison. And it's a bummer to, there's a lot of, you know, it's Van Morrison's a bummer anymore, <laughs> but Van Morrison, man, he, uh, I just remember listening to the Tupelo honey record and it oh, wow. just, I mean, it was just incredible to hear what his voice was able to do. Um, Roy Orbison. Oh yeah. When I was really young, like hearing early Roy Orbison material, hearing the song crying for the first time, just like, Oh my God. Like, I'm, you know, I was pretty young when I got into that. And um, that song could put an ache in your bones. It's so rich. It's like opera. It's, I mean, he was, he was, I think a trained classically trained, uh, vocalist you know i had an, a guy on my podcast a, a month or two ago gordon kennedy and his dad jerry played on a ton of roy orbison albums oh wow and man he, just the stories had and his dad's still around he's 82 ish or something wow and um you know that's his guitar in the beginning of oh pretty woman uh, there are wow. three guitar players actually they start off with one guitar then, you know, that opening little riff, then two guitars, yeah. then three, and he's one of them and played with Elvis. And That's just so crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Great, great stories. What a what a great voice Roy had in songwriting. My goodness, the guy was genius level. Yeah. I mean, Willie Nelson, too. Like, I mean, kind of all those. There, there's so many great songwriters that just come into your orbit. You know, Pollard, somebody that was really, really close by and... Mm-hmm you know, in town and, and up the street. And, he, you know, he's just this guy that's like such a prolific songwriter. And he just pumps out material and for better or for worse, you know, I mean, he just, this guy writes incredible amount of material all the time. I want to um, pause here for a second and, and play a song from your new album. We're going to play Tired of Me. This song has a really interesting lyric. It seems to me it could be about a person who's just restless or maybe uneasy in their own skin or somebody looking for some escapism. What can you tell us about the the story behind the song? And then we'll give it a listen. This was one that I just had a little voice memo that had the, um, the melody, the little hook line. <laughs> and I needed a song. I had, I had another song on the album that was originally going to be kind of in that spot on in the sequence. And when the record got, Push, it got pushed back for a little while. It was originally going to come out a little earlier than it ended up coming out. With the amount of time that ended up passing, the song that was in that spot, really, it kind of contextually, it was just very, very much written for, you know, the time of, you know, in the middle of the Donald Trump administration when it was written. I wanted to replace the song. And yeah. so I, I sat down to write Tired of Me, and it just kind of came out. I mean, it's just about... Uh, wanting to give up you're being <laughs> just wanting sleep i can't like you know being yeah. being really really depressed and just all you want to do is just like i just want to go to sleep because i mean if you go to sleep i mean it's a little bit like you're dead for for about eight hours you know? break. checking out for a bit yeah yeah you're basically dead for eight hours well cool well let's listen in and uh people will see why i'm so obsessed with your work Feel weak. 
sound it takes us back to really some of that great psychedelic pop that was so um, prevalent in the 60s early 70s in tone melody writing lyrical approach production how did you i don't know really a better way to ask this how did you settle on that style to express what was in you 
Well, I mean, it, it's what I like. It's what I listen to when I when I decide I want to listen to some music. You know, the stuff that I put on is almost always kind of, or for a very long time, you know, at least was was sort of in that uh, vein. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's why anybody sort of sticks within a genre is just that uh, they're sort of re- reflecting what I think we're all kind of just wanting to make music that we would like to listen to. That's right. You know, yeah. um, and so. Yeah, it kind of just comes out naturally. But I think that's also why it's like really important to try to for me to try to like expose myself to things uh, that are outside of that uh that mm-hmm. little box because yeah, it gets it gets lonely in that little genre box <laughs> and it's not like I necessarily have like a desire to make like a really great record that sounds like Pharrell or something, you know, like, or, or like a, a great record that sounds like a Willie Nelson album. Or it still feels like it's a good exercise in creativity and creative practice and artistry to like try to be challenging the mm-hmm. complacent spot that you end up in with style and genre and trying to, um, you know, challenge yourself to, to sort of interpret other, other art that, you know, doesn't fall within that. But then again, I mean, when I sit down in the studio, I mean, it's just sort of my natural mode to yeah. make things that sound like those old, you know, older records or analog records or certain style. But what's so special about it is, is that it is very unique too. Although it harkens back to those days, which is some of the greatest music that's been produced, period. It's also it's it's still fresh and vibrant and just the level of creativity your your sense of melody to me is remarkable and that's one of the things i i love about it because you really did capture the tone even even the 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 type of reverb that you use on your voice it really simulates in some ways what we heard in that great period of music as i was preparing for our time together i was doing some reading and what others have said about you and the work that you're doing. And there are some names that are used for comparative purposes that I, I would imagine could be a little intimidating. You've probably read some of these too. You know, people will use names like Harry Nilsson, Brian Wilson, Lennon McCartney, some of these, you know, monuments, uh, monumental people in songwriting when you hear yourself, your art, your work being compared to, at least on some level, to names like this, what does that do to you? To me, it would be kind of intimidating, but what is that like for you if you've read some of those things? Oh, man. Yeah, Brian, I think like t- <laughs> intimidating is like a, is a good word to describe it. You know, it's also this thing you dream about, you know, from what, the time that you're really little, you, you imagine being even like mentioned in the same sentence as some of these people. And so it's this thing that you just like, you think when you're really young that, Oh, once I get to the point where someone is saying that in a publication, in a credible publication, you know, um, Mm -hmm. outside of my hometown or whatever, I'm getting mentioned in the same sentences as my heroes and this person and that person. And like all those people you mentioned are people that would be on my list of the all time top, for me personally, just the top people I would like to be mentioned with, but then it happens and you're so humbled and you're just the, you try to have like such a degree of humility and, 
appreciation and gratitude for it and you reflect on it and then it terrifies you because <laughs> then you realize it's a curse it's it's like you you're as soon as you get done saying wow how incredible is this that i i get to experience such gracious praise you know you immediately realize like i am well i'm i'm never i'm not harry Nilton. i'm not i'm never going to be able to make a paul mccartney right i mean that's just an absurd creative standard to to place against yourself but in in years past you know when i was really young when i wrote a lot of the material that ended up on this record and a lot of my earlier stuff that i think is you know my most some of my most creative stuff to date i had that state of mind that i there's no other um goal there's no other objective than to try to be as good as paul mccartney or to try to be as you know that you're always you have to understand you're going to fail at it you know and it's almost like not getting there isn't the purpose of having the goal to be as good as paul mccartney like the purpose right. of having the goal to be as good as paul mccartney isn't to ever be as good as paul mccartney but it's to to make your stuff as good as it possibly can be when you're writing when do you feel most creative like what is your environment like what what does it take for you to feel like you've got that within you that you need to let it out by doing some writing when when do you feel most creative i think honestly i feel most creative when i'm like driving in the car i get it when when i am out of my own way mm -hmm. you know when i'm driving in the car i'm not at a console at a desk at a a laptop at a, a guitar or a piano <laughs> my brain isn't functioning within like a framework of i need to create something right now and so i'm at the wheel and at that point my physical body is out of my mind's way my mind is sort of out of my mind's way my intention is out of my mind's way i'm just driving and so it happens i get these seriously i'll bet all of the songs on this most recent record at least some part of it uh, was come up with while just driving and just kind of zoning out. I know some writers, you know, I was reading about Hemingway recently and how he would write a minimum of 500 words every single day. Good and Lord. was so disciplined. And other <laughs> writers are like, oh, I'm waiting for the muse to whisper t into my ear. Mm -hmm. And um, it's to me, I'm so fascinated by that by the process of writing because everybody kind of has the, somewhat of a different, a different take on that. Do you mostly write on your guitar or obviously if you're in your car, you're singing melodies, I would imagine in, into your mm -hmm. phone. Do you, but when you're going to put it down and get some chords under it, do you, do you usually go to your guitar or to your piano? Well, I've kind of gone back and forth. I used to, the guitar was sort of the natural place to, to begin. And so I would migrate to the guitar when that time came. But then, mm -hmm. then for the little EP that I put out a digital EP in 2017 or something like that. And it, that was all stuff that was, you know, sort of piano, more piano based and anymore now with the new record, what I did for most of them, a lot of those songs were already like very much written and had been demoed for the new stuff. Now it's like that get out of the way kind of mentality. I'm trying to apply that to instruments too. So like when I pick up the guitar, the guitar immediately becomes clear that it's getting in the way. But what I'm really realizing is I like these songs 
and especially the way that they end up arranged and the way they end up being composed and when I can get the instrument out of the way. So what I'm kind of doing now, starting out acapella. So I like what I'm doing in my car, um, you know, is just like a ba ba ba, whatever I'm scatting or I'm kind of, right. You know, what, when I listen to stuff that I really love I and mean, when I listen to great Paul McCartney material or Nilsson material, it's like, okay, well, there was clearly a song in a, in a brain here. Yeah. And that was what built this, not, a guy with a guitar, not a guy with a piano, you know? That's interesting you say that because I would imagine the minute you pick up an instrument, the chords you play have the great potential of drawing your melody to a place you really didn't want it to go. Mm -hmm. And I would think to a level, once that's happened, it might be hard to go back to that yeah. melody the way you heard it. Do you find that to be true? Yes, because you've got, I mean, muscle memory works in that way. You know, when you're playing a G chord on a guitar, that C is is begging you it is, to hit it, it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And because that's, it's not even where your mind might want to go. It's where your hand wants to go. So like, yeah, it's easy to fall into really familiar patterns. It's easy to fall into blues-based. Not that there's anything I like, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's a fundamental part of what I'm doing, but you know, it's really easy to fall into habitual patterns that, you know, maybe don't necessarily serve the song or they more just serve what your natural kind of, um, habits are. Yeah. I've heard other, other writers kind of share the same sentiment. And so that's, that's great that you've found a way to, to pull yourself out of that. We had talked about playing Mr. Marble Eyes, which is a really, really cool song. Now you've literally played every instrument on this album. Is, is that a challenge for you? It's certainly challenge. I mean, it's certainly challenging. It, it would be, it'd be silly for me to pretend it's not, <laughs> it's not challenging. You know, I don't know. It's very easy, <laughs> right? You know, but it's also really fun. And it, to me, it's a lot easier than paying a band to come do this. You know, sure. it's a lot easier than rehearsing for people. Um, I mean, if the song would be better, if somebody else played the, the keyboard, then I, you know, the song probably deserves for me to, to make that choice to have somebody else do it. But at the same time, I, I think that it also provides sort of a level of restraint in my songs that, uh, I don't know, I, like when I sit at a piano, I'm not trying to prove what a great pianist I am. Right. You know, and so bringing other musicians in you almost always inevitably end up in that situation where people are consciously or subconsciously concerned with letting others know that they're really talented they everybody sure. wants others to know that we're talented <laughs> so right, like right. you end up having that be yet another thing that sort of determines where the song is going and um but yeah mr marble Eyes was a song i knew so well um because it was an older song it was written in like 2010 maybe oh, really? 2011 yeah it was a really wow. it wasn't much older song sweet well let's give it a listen Marbles for his eyes, ooh, 
he's got the vision Oh yeah, so he doesn't have to see just what he knows How'd it come to be? It's such fantastic eyes to see what can't be seen There are some very Beatlesque vibes going on to this song. It's a really fun one. With you playing all those instruments and everything, how long would that have taken you to record all of that? Cumulatively, if you were to add up like uh, the number of hours spent on that song, it would be one number. Mm-hmm. But from starting the track to finishing the track, it would be a much longer number because the whole album, I knew the sequence. And so I. I set up the drums and mic'd the drums, and then I played all 12 tracks, or well, in this case, 11 tracks. There's, I think, one track that doesn't have drums on it. I played all the 11 drums, and then once I got all those drum parts the way I liked them, I broke down the drums and mic'd for bass and set the whole room up just for bass and did all 11 bass tracks. So, you know, I was always, it wasn't, it was like, this is bass week or this is guitar (laughs) week. You know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, shark, you know, one week was shark week, you know, 
and spent the whole week just watching Discovery Channel. But, <laughs> but um, yeah. So do you see what I mean? So like, if I were to yeah. add up all the time, I, I you know that would be one number. You know, sure. it took me X number of hours to get you know Mr. Marbleized done. But then cumulatively, you know, or rather, you know, chronologically or whatever, from you know the time that I started the click track until the time that I recorded the last vocal track which is usually the last thing i do is vocal stuff mm-hmm. you know was you know probably two months that's really really awesome what a fun way to record and it's great that you have the ability to do that you know when we look at lyrics there are some writers that have a specific story they want to tell or or a point they want to make which is great and i love it i gr- love storytelling and song do you ever write sometimes and really not care if the lyrics fall into a nice packaged narrative? Because if you listen to some of those great recordings from the 60s, early 70s, especially in the psychedelic pop uh, mode, sometimes a lyric was just a lyric because it fit and it was just fun and they weren't really caring so much about what a song said. So do you ever write kind of just freed of kind of a narrative? I mean, I've been trying to like get myself into that state of mind when writing for, for years, it's really hard. In my case, I'm sure that for other people it's different, but in my case, it's really, I have a really hard time not articulating a coherent message in my Mm. lyrics. And so (laughs) I would love to write songs. And I've like for years, I remember even in high school and stuff like fantasizing, Oh man, It'd be great to write songs with abstract lyrics, you know, that didn't come right out and say, hey, this is what I'm about. This is what I want you to take away from me, you know. And so songs like um, Mr. Marble Eyes are like my or Venti Gaspin Hale is another one on the record that's sort of like that, where the lyrics are more abstract and it's it has a theme. There are thematic things that you can follow. There's definitely a thread that links all of these ideas together. And but it, you it doesn't come right out and paint a picture of itself that's crystal clear for the listener. And so, um, right. but then on the other hand, songs like, uh, I don't know, grandma's dead and we're taking all her stuff, you know, from the first, <laughs> it's like, is, <laughs> thanks. It's right on the nose though. You know, it's, it doesn't, um, there's no ambiguity. So writing with ambiguities, like to me, what creates uh, just a, a whole degree of mystery and intrigue to a, composition Mm -hmm. and it's really really hard to write with ambiguity well right and that's why i asked the question because i was listening through those lyrics on mr marvel eyes i was like wow there is some abstraction here Mm -hmm. and i was just wondering if that was and you answered it perfectly i mean that sounds like that's something that you are aiming for which is which is really cool because it it does it's a it's a totally different type of art it's it's more interpretive um as opposed and you we could see the same thing in visual art as well yeah yeah exactly i love abstract visual art and for the same exact reason right at the same time you know some the more clear is you know like somebody like rembrandt where it's a, it's a scene like there's beauty in that but it's a different type of beauty when something is abstract so it's kind of neat to be able to create in both modes which you do and and i can see it as a as a fan, as an outsider, somebody who really enjoys what you're creating. Let's talk about how people can find your music and support you. So you've got your website. What's what's uh, your website URL? And I'll put all of these links 
that we'll chat about right here in, in the show notes for everybody. You can visit me at, uh, Onlyfans.com slash I'm just kidding. I don't have an OnlyFans. You can visit me at mrossperkins.com. Uh, mrossperkins.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at mrossperkins. Uh, cool. You can also find my album wherever records and tapes are sold. So people can buy music on your website. They can get tour updates. I noticed you've got some dates around Ohio that you're going to be doing here do you plan to get out of the state here a little bit or do you have that capacity with, you know, day jobs and all that stuff or kind of where are you with, with getting on the road? I love traveling. I love playing other places. I complain about it as I'm doing it, but I really actually enjoy, <laughs> enjoy doing it. But um, yeah, for now we're, you know, we're sticking around Ohio. I have a new band or piece backing band that is helping me out with stuff. So that's really cool. It's the first time I've played with a band in very cool. I think over a decade. Um, wow. I've been playing solo for, you know, all these years. So yeah, really cool to get out with the band. We've got some dates coming up. We're going to be announcing some new ones within the next couple months. And you've got a band camp page, uh, where you yeah. people can buy downloads and I'll put that yeah. link there. Definitely encourage people. If you like good music, I mean, we all know that so much great music is not on the radio and you find it in places like Bandcamp. Or even on social media where people share indie artists like Emros. So I definitely would encourage people to go support Emros. Buy a download, buy a physical copy, which you can get. Um, you, I think you do have physical copies on your website, right? On my website, you can click a link, which will take you to another website that has physical copies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can find it there. Coalminerecords.com, iTunes, really anywhere that music is sold. And I always encourage people, buy something physical, buy some merch, go to a show. This is what fuels guys like M. Ross Perkins to be able to continue to make great music. So all those links again will be down in the show notes. So before we wrap up, I want us to play a little game where it's called This or That. Okay. And I'm going to say two things, and you have to tell me which you prefer. Okay. So not what's good and what's bad, but what you prefer. Okay. Oh, there we go. All right. Good. I like how you <laughs> framed that. Okay. Good. Yeah. Make yeah. these make these nice and juicy. Let's let's get controversial. All right. What do I prefer? This or that? Let's this let's or that. So no ties. You can you can't have a draw. No no draw. ties. Okay. All right. So you have to make a choice. Okay. Here we go. Beetles or stones? Beetles. Italian food. Or Mexican food? Mm, Mexican food. Good choice, man. So in Ohio, and I'm, I'm a little skeptical, is there is there actually mm-hmm. good Mexican food? Because being here in California, I grew up in LA, like I've been, I think I had good Mexican food fed to me through the bottle when I was a baby. So there in your neck of the woods, do you guys have like really good authentic Mexican? So here's, here's the lovely, the wonderful truth about uh, America's immigration, which is, there is good Mexican food wherever there are good Mexican people, and there just so happen to be good Mexican people everywhere in the United States, which is wonderful. And so, yes, we have uh, some really, really great options for Mexican food up here. Beach or mountains? I'm going to say mountains. Uh, but yeah, there's part of me that wants to say beach because I want to go to the beach right now really bad, but I'm going to go with <laughs> mountains. Prefer them. Dogs or cats? Mm, cats. Cats. I've got a cat and a dog, and I love them both very, very, very much. And I actually really love dogs, but cats, absolutely. They're all right. Last one. Okay. Sweet or salty? Salty. Uh, salty. 
I do love sweets. I've got a serious sweet tooth, but yeah, salty. I'm going to go salty. <laughs> well, man, you did great. If, if this were a test, you, you definitely would have passed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. M. Ross, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. I am utterly impressed and blown away, and I'm going to go with obsessed with with your music. I really, really love what you're doing, and I hope everybody goes out, swing by Bandcamp, or swing through M. Ross's page and pick up a physical copy. You've got to hear this more of this guy's music. His first album, blown away by that one too. So I hope everybody gets that. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it, man. Great questions, great conversation. I love what you're doing with your show. It's awesome. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you. To everyone listening, thank you for supporting indie artists like M. Ross Perkins. The best music, as I mentioned earlier, is, is not what's on the radio. Of course, this is preference here. But it's being made in places like Dayton, Ohio, in home recording studios by guys like M. Ross here. You can, you can help support his art by, by supporting him, by merch, by music. Share this episode with your friends. If, if you've enjoyed this conversation that we've had, leave a kind review or follow our show. Uh, that would be so helpful. We don't have sponsors, and so we rely on people like you to help get the word out. You can follow Journey to the Stage on Instagram. Our handle is at Journey to the Stage Podcast. Or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Journey to the Stage Podcast. We've got a brand new YouTube channel I've just launched that'll put up some visualized podcasts. So we've got five more episodes in season one. So stay tuned. Pack your suitcase and join us on our next Journey to the Stage. That's a wrap. Thanks.